Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome in, everybody, to the flagship podcast. We are live on the Horns 24-7 YouTube channel. I am Chip Brown of Horns247.com. Join by the managing editor of Horns 24-7, Taylor Estes. Taylor, it is Monday after the Super Bowl. Um, you had the Kansas City Chiefs taking down the Philadelphia Eagles in a battle of former Big 12 quarterbacks. And Patrick Mahomes gets it Done. He had one incompletion in the second half of that game. I don't know what happened to the Philadelphia Eagles defense, but the Kansas City Chiefs win Super Bowl 57. What'd you think? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I saw something um, this morning that I think this was the first Super Bowl ever where a team had a double digit lead at halftime and lost the Super Bowl. Um, I saw that somewhere on social media, which is interesting because I feel like Texas fans can understand how that must feel because Texas had that those issues in year one under Steve Sarkeesian. They did clean it up. But yeah, I thought it was a good it was a good game. Um, you know, Patrick Mahomes and Jalen Hurts both played really well and uh, couldn't ask for. I, I love when Super Bowls are close. I, I don't want to see some blowout in the Super Bowl, you know, where you care more about the commercials than you do with the actual game. So I, I thought it was a good game. What were your thoughts? Yeah, and Shane Bouchelle gets a Super Bowl ring as a member of the Kansas City Chiefs. He's the um, third-string quarterback behind Mahomes and Chad Henney. And happy for Shane Bouchelle, who, good guy, good quarterback. Mm -hmm. um, kind of reminds me of Garrett, uh, 
Garrett Gilbert. When yeah, he, when he was with the Patriots, right? That's right. Yeah. He was he was the uh, third team quarterback with the Patriots, got a Super Bowl ring. So uh, that's cool. And uh, and it was a busy weekend for Texas basketball. Uh, the Texas men take down West Virginia in a blowout, 94 to 60. And they're playing at Texas Tech tonight. I'm sure we'll have some uh, some questions about that. Uh, we are taking your questions, doing a live mailbag uh, flagship podcast here today. So uh, fire away. And uh, the Texas women also won over the weekend, took down TCU, their second game without third leading scorer, Sonia Morris. And you've got a doubleheader tonight on uh, TV. You've got the Texas women taking on Iowa State on ESPN2 at 6 o'clock. And then at 8 o'clock, you've got the Texas men taking on Texas Tech in Lubbock, their third Texas men's third straight Big Monday appearance, 8 o'clock on ESPN. So um, it they're both atop the Big 12 standings, the Texas men and women. It's um, It's been a a, a really fun big 12 season to cover so far with with those teams overcoming early adversity for different reasons the women because of injuries the men because chris beard uh was dismissed from the team but they are getting it done and so we'll see how they do tonight both of them are on the road um so taylor you ready to get to some of these questions yeah, if you have questions, uh, we have a lot of football talk coming up today. So uh, go ahead and in the comments on YouTube or on the the Horns 24-7 Facebook channel. We will try to get to everybody's comments, but let's start off with some football talk, Chip. And I'm going to start with uh, a question from Horns 24-7 member Duke 24-7. Do we have an official health status on Jalen Catalan yet? Any limitations, Jalen Catalan being... The transfer from Arkansas, he is, you know, was an all-SEC player, um, has had some injuries in his career, but his ceiling is very, very high. This could be a guy with a good season and a healthy season could be a one-and-done transfer for Texas. Chip, your thoughts? Yeah, I, from what I'm understanding, he's certainly taking part in winter conditioning. And um, he's, from what I'm told, has no restrictions from that standpoint, now whether the coaches want to put him through um, the physical contact or keep him out of some of the physical contact during spring ball, uh, we'll find out from Steve Sarkeesian. But right now, he's he's a full participant in winter workouts, which is great news for for Texas, um, the team, the coaches, the fans, because. We know Jalen Catalan when he's healthy is well. He was an All SEC safety, right. and and he got it early, and and can process and diagnose and all the things you want from that safety position. So you're knocking on wood that that Jalen Catalan just continues to get stronger and and uh, you know all all conditioned here going into spring spring ball so that uh, his his season here with the Texas Longhorns can be a successful and productive one. We've compared him 
to Ryan Watts, who came in from Ohio State and made an immediate impact. Uh, Ryan Watts was running first first team boundary corner from pretty much the time he got uh, on campus and played the whole season there and certainly um, handled his position as well as you could have uh, expected or wanted uh, from a transfer coming in. So if Jalen Catalan could do something similar for Texas, uh, that would be fantastic, especially with the loss of Anthony Cook. You need uh, a presence, a veteran presence back there. you got a lot of young, talented safeties, a couple of whom aren't even on campus yet who can learn from, from their, that leadership experience um, and and so it, it could benefit Texas tremendously having Jalen Catalan in here. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, you hope that he has, if you're a Texas fan, you hope he kind of has a season similar to Jordan Whittington. You know, there was always injury questions plaguing Jordan Whittington. Um, he worked overtime, essentially, um, in the training room to get his body right in for the first time had, you know, one complete healthy season at Texas. Um, you you would hope to see that from Jalen Catalan. And this is a guy, again, I mean, you know, Chip, you bring up a good point. His veteran and leadership can be really substantial for the secondary, especially with him being alongside Jaron Thompson. Jaron Thompson is a guy that, uh, you know, at the end of last season, people pointed to as someone who could be a, vo a vocal leader on the defense. And, with uh, Jalen Catalong, the two of them can be provide, you know, really a lot of leadership and um, experience to the secondary because Anthony Cook played in a lot of games. He didn't talk a lot. We'll say that he was a, a little bit more of a quiet guy, but he played in, you know, a t I mean, since his freshman year, you know, and uh, losing that type of experience is can be, you know, detrimental sometimes. But having a guy like Jalen Catalong come in, hope he stays healthy. That could be, as you said, just like how Ryan Watts kind of was last year. And if you're a Texas fan, you're probably praying, you know, that he, that is the case because um, the Texas defense could be a, a strength of the team again with the way that this defense is shaping up. Yeah. I mean, Anthony Cook, uh, that's a, that's a significant loss. He made some big plays, especially early in the season. I mean, he had a big, um, a big stop, uh, on fourth and one against Alabama. He had a big stop against Iowa State that caused a fumble when Iowa State was driving for for a potential go-ahead touchdown. Um, that fumble was recovered by Jalen Ford, and um, Texas ended up winning the game. I mean, it was a it was a game uh, changing play, and Texas needs that. They need more uh, turnovers forced by the secondary. You had uh, a big time year from, you know, Jade Barron um, and um, Deshaun Jameson had a, a pick six early in the year. Of course, Jalen Ford led the team in interceptions, but there wasn't a lot of uh, interceptions from the safety position. And so we'll see if Jalen Catalan and Jaron Thompson can mesh well together and, and, creates more turnovers for a Texas defense that uh, returns veteran experience at every level of the defense. So um, this is, uh, I'm intrigued. I mean, Catalan to me is a, is a huge pickup if he can stay healthy. And um, we know that 
Tory Becton and his staff did a great job with Jordan Whittington last year. It required extra work from Jordan Whittington. It still does. And Jalen Catalan's doing the same thing. So um, it there's reason for optimism right now. Yeah. And I will say with Tory Becton and the strength and conditioning staff, there was a lot of people, you know, in year one that they were questioning if the late game fall off was a, you know, a product of a poor strength and conditioning program. And I would say they were the unsung heroes of last season, Chip. I mean, think about how much better this team was from year one to year two, how much better it looked even, I would say, from a physical standpoint. And they played really physical too. I mean, they they don't get a lot of, you know, mention, but they should because Tory Becton did a phenomenal job. Um, that is why Steve Sarkeesian went after Tory Becton um, to come to Texas. And that was a huge, a huge hire, I think. And one that people didn't appreciate year one, but you saw the results year two. And that's what, you know, I think that they deserve a ton, a ton of credit for what, what the team was last season too. Yeah. Typically you can, you can maybe bring the strength um, program into question if you're suffering a lot of soft tissue injuries, right? a lot of hamstring, a lot of pulls, a lot of stuff like that. And you didn't have that last Not year. So, and as we mentioned with Jordan Whittington, um, you know, it, some guys are tight and like we've mentioned CJ Baxter, the freshman five-star running back is tight. He's got tight hamstrings. He had, you know, some issues uh, in a couple of his high school seasons there at Edgewater and Orlando, he's doing extra work uh, with the training staff to, to make sure that he's uh, as flexible as he can be. And, and so um, we're, we're watching that with uh, Jalen Catalan as well. Yeah. All right. Next one here from horns, 24 seven member, BW Brew 16 with Savion Red moving to running back. What past Longhorn at the running back position do you think his game mimics? And who in the NFL can we draw a comparison to? Chip, I'll let you go first there. Yeah, I mean, he's uh <clears throat> he's probably, and I, you know, I want to see him run at the college level, but he's probably a cross between Hodges Mitchell and Fozzie Whitaker. Um, and again, you want to see him with a big sample size because obviously Hodges Mitchell and Fozzie were, were really productive. Um, Hodges was so tough. My gosh, he was, a uh, you know, kind of built like, uh, Savion red little, you know, stocky thick, uh, and could, man, could he, uh, he could take a punch. He ran, he had some, you know, he would go between the tackles and uh, he took some big hits and he always, you know, got up and, and Fozzie had the knee injury. And when he was healthy, obviously he was productive, ha ended up having a more productive NFL career than he did at Texas. But the thing I like most about Savion Red is his attitude. I mean, he loves football. He loves being on the field with his teammates. He wants to, have an impact as as soon as he can. So whatever that takes. And, and that's what we're seeing here with this move, because he was a guy who was getting on the field, even though not many receivers were getting on the field outside of uh, Xavier Worthy, Jordan Whittington, um, and, you know, Casey Kane, but 
Savion Red was getting on the field a bit, and you know, he, obviously they brought in a, a bunch of really talented receivers with AD Mitchell coming in from Georgia, John Tay Cook, DeAndre Moore, uh, already on campus as early enrollees, highly recruited receivers, and um, obviously with Brennan Thompson getting another year of experience. Uh, we know that Sarkeesian loves speed, and and so you know, maybe it's harder for him, for Savion Red to get on the field at the receiver position. He's like, let me show you what I can do at running back. And I think that's, that's great. I mean, obviously they're down numbers right now with Jonathan Brooks. Um, you know, you've got Jaden Blue and CJ Baxter, but like we said in spring, you've got two fields going. You need running backs uh, at, on both fields uh, you need to have at least four uh, who are scholarship and and not walk-ons. And so, um, you know, I would say that. I would say a little cross between Hodges Mitchell and Fozzie Whitaker. And then let's see. Let's see how, um, you know, how he's running the football against obviously much better competition than what he saw in high school. Yeah, and and that's what's it's a little tricky at this point to say exactly who his game mimics because we haven't seen his game, you know, at this level um playing running back from a just a physical standpoint, he kind of is a, like a Malcolm Brown maybe, you know, like his body structure, the his size. I mean, when you see Sa Savion Red, I remember being at um fall, I think it was fall camp practice last season or prior to last season. And Chip kept saying like, man, he looks like a linebacker almost out there, <laughs> like not really a receiver. And it, I would say from just a physical stature type of presence, I would say Malcolm Brown, but it's, it's going to be difficult to kind of definitively say at this point, because we haven't seen him at the position. Yeah. Yeah. That's another uh, uh, fun wrinkle that we'll be watching in spring ball. Yeah, for sure. All right. Next one here is from Horns 24-7 member Horn KC. Is this the best wide receiver group we've had since the championship years? I, I I'm gonna go and say probably. I mean, I think that in 2018, Texas was um pretty stacked at receiver with Colin Johnson, uh, you know, Devin Duvernay, Lil Jordan Humphrey. Those three really had a huge impact um on the team. Uh, but from a depth and just overall talent perspective, it, it's hard not to think that chip. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm inclined to agree here because you, you have, you have some, um, resume from Isaiah Nair and AD Mitchell from their previous schools that tells you, okay, these guys can get it done. I mean, Isaiah Nair. I get he played at Wyoming, but 12 touchdown catches on a predominantly run-oriented team is significant and legitimate. I mean, double-digit touchdown receptions at any Division I school in one season is big time. Uh, when you combine the fact that he wants to be great, uh, and then you add in A.D. Mitchell, who's you know had a touchdown in four college football playoff games and two national championship games including um well and he had a he had the go-ahead game winning touchdown against ohio state in the semifinal. uh he had a another touchdown in the blowout win over tcu but when you 
factor those things in along with Xavier Worthy, who broke all the freshman records here, Jordan Whittington, who I think will become more utilized as Quinn Ewers gets more comfortable in this offense and seeing the field and, and telling Steve Sarkeesian what he's comfortable with. And then you add in John Tay Cook and DeAndre Moore. Ryan Niblett's not even on campus yet, but he's a burner. I think I think this is, I mean, I wrote about this in the Insider a couple of weeks ago that this year's offense, the 2023 offense, should more closely resemble what Sarkeesian was working with at Alabama. I'm not saying these guys are Jalen Waddell, Jerry Judy, Devontae Smith, Henry Ruggs, um, who did all play on the same team together and were all productive, but it's it's closer and and that's key. Steve Sarkeesian wants speed on both sides of the field, preferably on in, in both outside receivers and the slot, so that the defense has to back up and 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 fear them going deep. And we know Steve Sarkeesian is not afraid to throw it deep. So I I think this has a chance to be a really special group of receivers. Maybe yeah. you know I I like the group you mentioned, Taylor, and mm-hmm. um. You know, it was a weird time under Tom Herman because he had Devin Duvernay on the bench for his in 2017. But um, that's a that was a really good, productive group with a veteran quarterback. And Quinn Ewers should start to feel like a, a more veteran quarterback in, in 2023 or or there might be something wrong, you know, with the with the development process. So, yeah, I think this is going to be a special group. Yeah, you got size too. I mean, AD Mitchell six four with that long wingspan. Isaiah Nair six three with that long wingspan. Those are quarterbacks' best friends, man. Big receivers where you can just throw it up and they can go up and get it. They they those kinds of receivers clean up a lot of mistakes, a lot of you know errant throws, and and that's that's good news for Quinn Ewers or whoever's taking the snaps for Texas. Yeah, and and like you say, with uh, Quinn Ewers being another year in the system, I mean, in 2018, that was Sam Ellinger's second year in the system as the starting quarterback. Um, You expect him to make progress. There's really no reason to think he's not going to take that next step um, just because we've seen the highs, you know, that Quinn Ewers can bring to the table. Obviously, there were some lows, but that was a freshman first-time starter, hadn't played football basically two years. So, um, yeah, I think, I think him taking that next step is only going to make these guys better. And it, it is good to have the big bodies. You know, that wasn't really something he had a ton of last year. I mean, Jatavian Sanders, a tight end, obviously kind of had to fill that role, but you're not really throwing jump balls to a tight end in the end zone very often. You know, that's a, a rare situation for it to happen. So, you know, I, I, I totally agree. I think that having the bigger bodies plus the speed is huge. Um, and that, you know, I think going to pay dividends for Texas, uh, the offense too. And, and we'll take a lot of pressure off of the running game as well with is going to, you know, the running back room, very talented, but there's going to be first time starters and first time contributors really that probably are going to be seeing the field. So, um, you may not have to rely as heavily on that as you did, you know, last season with, uh, Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's get to a YouTube channel question. This is from, I apologize in advance if I butcher 
anyone's names. I am, you know, uh, very known for butchering these names on the show when we do these live mailbags, so apologies. But from Frank uh, Decluet, De did I? Sorry, if I, Frank, if I'm messing that up. Frank D here says, is it, <laughs> "Is it Big Twelve champ or bust for Sark this year?" I, I certainly think it's Big Twelve title game or bust, and you know. I have to think that Texas is one of the top two teams in the big 12 this year. And we'll see how other teams come together, how they, how they gel. Obviously TCU's got a lot to, to replace K state has some um, key playmakers to replace on, on both sides of the ball. Uh, those are the two who played for it all last, last year with K state winning it. Uh, winning the Big 12 championship. So, you know, I have to think that it's Big 12 title game or bust for Sark this year. And based on the returning players, maybe Big 12 championship or bust. I mean, obviously, um, you know, Oklahoma got on that role and, and continued to carry the flag for the Big 12 really from 2009 until um, the run ended with Lincoln Riley going to USC, um, you know, obviously Bob Stoops was in there for a good chunk of it, but, you know, I've said this before and I'll continue to say it. The, the top end coaches reveal themselves in the first three years on the job. And this will be year three for Sarkeesian. And, and I think he absolutely needs to be in that big 12 title game with the talent he has, the way he's been recruiting um, that I can't think of two schools right now who would be ahead of Texas, uh, to get to the big 12 championship game, just based on what I've seen of their returning players, their transfers. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm going to say big 12 title game or bust for sure. How yeah, are you? Taylor? I, I agree with that. I think, um, and this is something that, uh, we've talked about this in the past on the flagship podcast, you know, this is something I've never, I can never really recall saying in my career covering Texas, just because I haven't felt that rosters were set up in that way. And I do think, uh, you know, maybe 2020 was probably the closest that I thought should have been, but obviously they fell short that year. It was a weird season anyway, but yeah, I think I, I agree with you. I wouldn't say championship yet, until we can see kind of some of the product here, but I definitely think it is a big 12 title game or bust year for Sark. And, and I think he recognizes that. I think, I think Sark, he's a smart guy. You know, he, he knows the expectations are very high. He has talked openly about that. Like he knew what he was getting into when he was coming to a place like Texas to be a head coach. And he knows the expectations are, are really high and and uh, he understands why they are. And so I think he knows that it's probably a big 12 championship or title game or best type of year for him. And just look at the roster. I mean, my goodness, that that's the biggest, not just the skill talent, but the guys that they have in the trenches and that are returning from last year's team. You know, the offensive line is going to be one year older, um, you know, that was a very young group that exceeded expectations, at least my expectations in um, 2022. I think just everything is lining up for this to be a team that could be really special. Now, there's some questions There's some, you know, um, 
some uh, veteran experience that they do have to replace at various positions, but I think they have the guys to do it. And I, I haven't said that, that I can recall ever in my career covering Texas, but the way that they are developing, you know, offensive line, defensive line, especially that's where you win and lose games. And Texas is finally at a position where they have not just bodies, but they have quality depth and they have a lot of talent in the, at both um, on both lines of scrimmage. And so that, that really can pay dividends uh, for a team. And so, yeah, I think there's really no reason why Texas shouldn't be in the big 12 title game, barring some crazy injuries, like, to Quinn Ewers or something like that, you know, but at this point as is, yeah, I think that's fair to say. Yeah. And we should see, they've been lacking a, a consistent edge rusher who can, who can get quarterbacks on the ground. Although Texas did a nice job of pressuring quarterbacks last year, they need to have that guy who you fear, who offenses have to account for, have to um, figure out ways to double team and, and we'll see if, um, you know, Baron Sorrell, Justice Finkley, um, you know, um, Ethan Burke, Colton Vosick, if these guys can develop into Jure Bledsoe, um, you know, Jamon Tapp, can one or more of these guys emerge to where you're getting a consistent pass rush uh, on those, those big play downs, those big money downs, third down fourth down against Texas Tech um, to keep teams from, you know, sustaining drives. And so that's exciting. I mean, the, the talent is there. It, it needs time to develop. Um, sometimes you, you end up with a freak like Tony Brackens at Texas back in the early 90s who was just born to rush the passer, country strong from Fairfield, Texas. And uh, the guy was a monster from the beginning and, and right into the NFL. So um, that's, that's what Texas needs to add uh, defensively. Uh, but they'll move Anthony Hill around. I mean, I think, and I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here. We haven't even seen him uh, in spring ball, but I know the coaches are excited. He's driven and, and he's got the body and the mind and the pedigree from uh, what he was able to do at Denton Ryan to, to come in and, and be an impact player as a freshman. So um, it's exciting. Yeah, for sure. It's funny. Cause you, you know, listed off all of the names of the edge rushers that we were going to be watching. When was the last time that you sat there and like, just off the top of your head listed five guys that you think could be impact edge rushers at Texas. I mean, that, that in itself shows, how how develop or how um deep you know that this team is and how well the staff has done recruiting um across the board and i thought that was something funny i'm sitting there thinking like yeah we can keep going too like ethan burke i mean you like literally the list goes on and on and on and that's a credit to the staff of what they're doing to develop this team and to build it not just for this season but to sustain in the sec when texas um does end up going in 2024 because you need you need big bodies in the trenches. There's a reason why Sark talks about big humans. Um, it's not a, just a funny little slogan. He says it's because he knows and Kyle flood knows. And a lot of the staff here that have coached in the sec, Bo Davis knows that is how you win championships. It starts and ends pretty much in the trenches. Um, so 
a lot of big humans on this roster that uh, could be an impact this season. We're going to take a really quick break, but stay tuned. We have more coming up. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, Everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. All right, let's go to this next one from Horns247 member. It's a mystery. By the way, I really like that username. That was one of the first times I've seen it. (laughs) I was like, ooh, that's clever. Uh, So it's a mystery. It says, glad we are leaving the Big 12. Is LHN uh, still... A still be negotiated item between Texas and ESPN, or was the reduction of fees considered payment in kind? Yeah, so um, we've talked about this a little bit, but the the Longhorn Network as we know it is going to go away, uh, and it will become part of the SEC network. The question is, um, with you know adding Texas and Oklahoma, who each had their own uh, third tier channel oklahoma's was with fox texas obviously was with espn um you know do they add a a sec network too uh and that's that's what um sort of remains to be seen we haven't heard from espn on this but um Chris Del Conte did say last week he was on the radio here in Austin and he said, you'll still get all your baseball and softball games. So I don't know. Um, that sounds to me like there would be maybe a, an SEC network too, or, um, you know, or something because you're now going to 16 schools and uh, that's a lot of baseball games folks uh, to be, to be, you know, having to account for. So um, it's a little bit of uh, remains to be seen, but yeah, the a, a part of the reason that Texas is getting out uh, for 50 million when it could have been well over a hundred million based on um, the bylaws and the grant of rights that, uh, you know, for leaving a one year early, it's, you know, they're getting out for 50 million in, in large part because ESPN is motivated to have Texas and Oklahoma in the SEC in 2024 when ESPN takes over the uh, broadcast rights to SEC football. So, um, you know, people kind of dog on the Longhorn Network, but it was easy. It was an easy punching bag when Texas wasn't winning, when they weren't. Right good enough you know the shaka smart years in basketball the um you know the the lean years for 
for Texas baseball and obviously for Texas football. Um, it, it was a reminder of how those teams were not doing well. And, and so, you know, you had better love looking back at games in the eighties and nineties, the Texas history channel um, <laughs> is sort of, you know, kind of what it became known as, but you know, the better these teams are softball, baseball, basketball, football, obviously the more you appreciate LHN and, Unfortunately, that will be one of the casualties of this move. Yeah, I think it, it's it's kind of sad for the other sports. You know, um, I think it was definitely a huge punching bag for football because especially when, text, when you know, they would put games on the network and there's fan bases elsewhere. They're like, how the hell do I watch Longhorn Network? Like, it's nowhere to be found anywhere, you know? And so I think... That made it a punchy man, but but it did offer a lot of other sports um, at Texas to be spot, you know, spotlighted. They, you know, in, in women's sports, some of the ones that don't get as much attention as football, basketball, baseball. Um, that that's disappointing for the student athletes, and you, you would hope that with the SEC, you know, having a sixteen-team league, maybe they do the SEC two, you know, network or something like that to allow for that to happen because it's not as much as you know, football drives everything, um, especially in the state of Texas and in, uh, you know, with the University of Texas and in the SEC, um, you know, it's still, there's still other sports that deserve, you know, some type of attention. And that was something Longhorn Network could provide to some of the non-revenue sports. So it'll be interesting to see with the, you know, the SEC, how they kind of manage that. Um, all right, Chip, from this one from Horns 24-7 member, I know for sure I'm going to butcher this one. Uh, pack in R46. What's the level of scrutiny Sarkeesian will get for the results of this season? Well, listen, Texas fans are not shy about <laughs> expressing their opinion. And um, most of them have a memory back to 2005. Not all, not all. We got some young fans out there, but they know what Alabama's been doing what Clemson's been doing, what Ohio State's been doing, and and that Lincoln Riley went to USC, took over a a team that was, um, you know, that fired its coach and was one win away from being in the college football playoff. So it's it, it it's it's time. Let's put it that way. I mean, yeah. the level of scrutiny is gonna go up. Right. Uh, coming off a five and seven season, we we here at the flagship podcast were saying eight wins would be, um, you know, you could claim progress and eight wins in Arch Manning. I said all <laughs> going into the season and and um, and then they got eight wins in Arch Manning. Well, now it's ten wins and an appearance in the Big Twelve championship game. But you know, Texas could have and should have and would have been in the big 12 championship game if they had just kept running the football in the fourth quarter of the Oklahoma state game. So yeah, the level of scrutiny is going up and, and this is where uh, we'll find out what Steve Sarkeesian uh, is made of because this is a tough job. It's, there are a lot of expectations. Um, there were some questions about how uh, he called that, you know, that game, the Texas Tech game offensively, there were issues, you know, defensively as well. But um, 
the firepower on on offense last year to be able to run the football. We saw it time and again. They finished games against Iowa State and Baylor by running the football. Kansas, they just ran over Kansas. Um, and that 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 is a concern for me uh, because of the unknowns. I think there's a bunch of talent at running back, but um, there was a bunch of talent at running back last year and Steve Sarkeesian didn't run it. So that's a, that's a concern. And um, yeah, the scrutiny level is, is going to go up. It's, it's now where Texas needs to be in that championship conversation every year. What yeah. Think, and Taylor? I think I agree. And I, I think that it also probably doesn't help from the fan perspective that the last two big 12, you know, um, championship games, there was a coach that was in his second year that won in 2021 and Dave Aranda. And then last year, you know, a first year head coach at TCU, that you know, their only loss of the, uh, of, you know, before the college football playoff was in the big 12 title game. And then they still went to the college football playoff. And so the fact that there are, you know, fresh coaches at new at schools that have at least made it to the big 12 title game in either year one or year two only adds to the scrutiny, I think, among the Texas fan base. And, and it makes sense, you know, I mean, it's not like it was one thing when OU was just constantly running the table in the big 12, you know, it was kind of like, well, no one else is winning it too, you know, but the fact that the last two years have seen first year coaches in it and then uh, a second year coach actually win it, I think that only adds to the level of scrutiny. And, and, you know, what, what you said earlier, Chip, is right. You year three, you want to you'll learn who the coach is within the first three years, but good or bad. And so um, we know Sark is we know he's a good a good coach. We know he's one of the best offensive minds in college football. Um, his TBD is still him as a head coach, and I think that's what you're going to learn a lot about him this season. Yeah, yeah, his. His best season as a college head coach is nine wins uh, at USC in 2014, the year before he was let go there. So um, he's got to break through some glass ceilings. But we saw, you know, we've seen guys like Dabo Sweeney um, do it. You know, Dabo had a rough first year at Clemson, changed out Billy Napier uh, as his offensive coordinator, um, you know, and and got it right, got it going. And by year three, Clemson was a team that was uh, starting to win ACC championships and um, the rest is history. We talked about Mac Brown. Mac Brown went to the Big 12 title game in 1999, his second year as coach. They lost to Nebraska, uh, but he was in the championship game um, and then was back in it in 2001. Uh, I don't need to remind everyone about that one because they won. <laughs> they've beaten Colorado. They'd have played for the national championship against the Miami Hurricanes. But uh, you got to be in that mix on a on a regular basis, and um, you know, not having the big dips. And that's that's uh, you know, that's what we're watching you know, right now. Sark's got this thing going like this, and it needs to keep going on that direction and not doing this. Yeah, for sure. I mean, when you're the highest paid public employee in the state of Texas, there's a lot of expectations that probably follow with a success that should follow you too. And so um, speaking of, let's go to a YouTube channel question here from CTE11. Do you think there will be pressure for Sark to relinquish play calling duties if the team struggles next year? 
Um, I would imagine Sark will know that better than anyone. He so far he has said, I, you know, that he wants to call the plays. He loves calling the plays, and and I do think that uh, last year was a tough one with a first year quarterback, and and you know, obviously the the second half meltdowns that Taylor referenced earlier. Uh, from year one and even into year two, because mm-hmm. you you had the 31-17 lead at Texas Tech and lost. You had the 31-17 lead at Oklahoma State and lost, and then went to K-State and showed you could win on the road and, you know, hang, hang in a, a good, I mean, they had to hang on to win it, but they did. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, you know, you kind of put that to rest, but you got to keep going and, and you got to get that team needs to be mentally tougher and they need to be able to close out games because no one was giving up leads like that anywhere in college football over that, um, you know, that two year span that it was happening. So, um, you know, if, if there are big questions about how, Sark is handling the the offense and is he getting too vanilla late in in big games tight games or is he um you know struggling with how to manage the game then yeah I think I think there will be questions and I'm sure Chris Del Conte will say who do you need um to make you feel comfortable about this and and they'll they'll address it but I do think that Steve Sarkeesian believes this will be the first offense he's had at Texas that can do all the things that he wants it to do. Um, And where he doesn't have to force the ball to Xavier Worthy to get the defenses to respect the, the deep ball and for the safeties to stay back, that he'll have multiple weapons um, who will open things up underneath for guys like Jatavian Sanders and, and the running backs. And, and so I think this is a big year for Steve Sarkeesian offensively because the, the excuses are going away, right? You know, you're going to have experience at quarterback. You're going to have, you're going to have a new newcomer at running back in CJ Baxter, but Jonathan Brooks has been around. Keelan Robinson has been around and these receivers that he's got have, have done it. They've proven it, whether it was here at Texas or somewhere else. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think, you know, I, if there are issues or struggles on offense, Sark, this is another thing you're going to learn a lot about him. I think as a head coach here, he's got to recognize it himself, not be told, you know what I mean? Cause I mean, just because you're not calling the, like physically calling in the plays on offense doesn't mean it's not, it's not his offense. I mean, do you think Nick Saban just doesn't, you know, have any input on the Alabama offense or no, like he may not be calling the plays, but still, you still have an input. You still can run your offense, just have it run by someone else. Because, you know, we've talked a lot about this chip, you know, there are very few head coaches at the college level that call, call the offense that have won the national championship. I mean, I'm, I can't really recall one. I mean, I know Lincoln Riley has been in national, you know, uh, college football playoff games, but he never even won one. And I don't think that's a, I don't think that's just some type of like, 
coincidence. I think it's because there's so many things that go into being the play caller on offense. Um, you know, I mean, Steve Sarkeesian, that's not just his only responsibilities. When when the offense isn't on the field, he's not able to go over and talk to the guys and talk to Quinn Ewers. He has to be watching the defense and has to be, you know, the whole game manager, not just the offensive game manager. And so there's a lot of uh, responsibilities that come with being a head coach and an offensive play caller. And there are very few that can do it at a high level. And so we'll see if he is able to. And if if there are struggles, you know, as, as you said, the, the excuses are going away. So if the offense is kind of up and down again for the third straight year, he's got to recognize that. And and you're right. Maybe in if he doesn't, Chris Del Conte needs to jump in and be like, you need to get somebody that you trust to call the offense. You can still run your offense, but you need somebody that you can trust to do it because Otherwise, he's not going to be a coach at Texas because there are no the excuses are going away. It seems like with each year here because of the way of how well they've developed some guys, how well they've been recruiting. It's it's got you've got to see improvement from the offensive play calling too. And if you don't, then I think you've got to you know do some self evaluation there and recognize that maybe it's not you saying you're a failure because you can't call the offense. It's you recognizing that there are so many other responsibilities. It's it's a tough job to do all of them and plus be the offensive play caller. Yeah. And Jimbo Fisher was, you know, probably the last head coach who was calling plays to win a national championship when he had Jameis Winston and Jimbo Fisher just hired Bobby Petrino as his offensive yep. coordinator uh, because it wasn't, it wasn't coming together at A&M. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, there, there's a prime example. I don't think Jimbo was crazy about the idea of giving up play calling, but he he did it. Now, Dana Holgerson, now he's never won anything outside of like a 10-win season, but he happily relinquished play calling duties to Jake Spavital when he was at West Virginia. He said it put years back on his life. Now, you know, Sarkeesian's been calling plays for so long, he doesn't know what it's like not to call plays. So. Right. We'll see. We'll see. But this year is a big year for how Sark gets this offense going. You know, look, averaging 36 points per game is great. He was averaging over 40 points per game at Alabama. And, and that's a big difference. When you average over 40 points per game, you're scoring a whole heck of a lot more points. Yeah. And, and that's, that's where he wants to be. That's where, that's where this offense, if you want to know how this offense is progressing, then watch to see if Texas is able to average, um, you know, more than 40 points per game. That's, that's when it's, uh, that's when the getting's good. And, you know, you think back to the Texas national championship in 05, they averaged 50. Right. So that tells you, um, Elite is 40 plus. So let's see how how Texas does with that this year. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's take uh let's go with this one from Horns 24-7 member. It's Hendricks. Can you ballpark the number of transfers out after spring? Most likely positions for attrition. Uh this is a tricky one because um you know, Sark is very open with the the players that he has. And if they don't see 
a uh, them progressing in a way that they are going to make an impact, he will tell them. So it's going to be interesting. Um, it's hard for me to put a number on it, Chip. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I don't think it's a lot. Um, I think it yeah. happened earlier already, right? right. Like, yeah, after right. the season, yeah. Right. There were, um, you know, a good number. I, I, mm-hmm. I don't have it the list right in front of me, but I want to say eight to ten. And, um, and it was from positions you would expect. I mean, we expected Hudson Card to move on. Um, and if you're if you've been in the system a couple of years and you're not getting playing time, significant playing time, or you're seeing playing time diminish as new players come in, then it's natural to to look at that person, that player, and say, well, maybe they're better off somewhere else. Um, you know, I can look in a guy like Casey Kane or Juan Davis at tight end and and you know, let's see where they are in the offense after spring ball. Um, you know, and I'm not saying that that'll happen because Texas is, they don't have a lot of tight ends. I mean, Juan Davis could be one play away from uh, being a significant contributor um, to Texas. Now, Casey Kane, he's in there now with, with AD Mitchell and, and Isaiah Nair. You got to see the future, though, too. I mean, if you like where you are, you like your teammates, you like your coach, your position coach, your, and it obviously at receiver, they have a new position coach in Chris Jackson, then you're willing to wait your turn. Um, and that's what I've been so impressed with with Steve Sarkeesian, honestly, that he has been able to, to keep some of those young, talented players um you know, in the system, growing, waiting for their opportunity. Jaron Thompson's gonna, you know, he'll have a COVID decision after this next season, but then it's it's time. It's time for Larry Turner Gooden or Derek Williams or BJ Allen or um you know these young guys to to take over. And mm-hmm. and so let's see if if the the trend is going up. I mean, look at all the young corners. They got they got to play, and even a guy like Xavier Bryce, who's long and fast, and all the things you want, you hear great things about. Um, you know, he didn't get to play that much. Austin Jordan got to play. Jalen Gilbo got to play. Terrence Brooks got to play. Uh, but if you, you know, again, you like your position coach, you can see that there are guys ahead of you who are about to leave. Then you keep you keep going. You keep growing and. Um, Texas was pretty fortunate last year, Taylor, with injuries. I mean, you know, they they had some guys go out of games, but they didn't, you know, they didn't have, you know, season-ending injuries throughout the year. And so, um, you know, it makes it tougher to get playing time if the guys ahead of you are, are healthy the whole time. Obviously, that's what the fans want and what the coaches want, but I think it's been impressive that Sark's been able to hold the young talent together. And um, this will be another big year for that, um, you know, especially on that defensive line, because that's where you, you've got to have depth. You got to be able to rotate, uh, you know, three. Well, you got to be able to rotate six defensive tackles. The the great teams can do that. So, um, and that's what they're positioned to do this this upcoming season. So let's see how they handle it. 
Yeah, I'm looking here at the uh, 24-7 sports transfer portal for Texas. They, from the end of November through um, January, lost 14 players, and I would say, to the transfer portal, and I would say probably only one of those players Sark would have loved to have held on to, and that was Hudson Card. The rest of the guys, and this isn't a knock on those guys or anything, it essentially was they they were in the position where they didn't see them contributing, you know, because there's younger talent like a junior Angelau, for instance. I mean, he missed the year because of a, a fall camp season ending injury, but then, um, you know, you look at how well the offense, the offensive line performed without him and they're all young guys. I mean, he would have to be competing with true sophomores at some, you know, uh, at some of those positions. So, and maybe even redshirt freshmen, if he would have stuck around, so, I mean, I think the, I mean, 14 to the transfer portal, but only one of them really was probably one that Texas the coaches would have loved to have held on to the rest. They probably essentially told them maybe go find um, another place to make an impact that that's huge. And you're right. The fact that he's been able to hold on to guys that they want on the roster is, is enormous and enormous. I mean, that's something that, you know, happens at Alabama, but look at what Alabama has been doing. They've been winning or playing for championships pretty much every other year. It seems like at least, if not more, um, Texas hasn't been in that situation. The fact that they've been able to hold on to the the young talent is huge. I mean, deserves a ton of credit by Steve Sarkeesian and the staff, no doubt about it. Yeah, we'll take a quick break here on the flagship podcast. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Gather your besties. We are very exclusive. And get ready. Mom, go make snacks. For sure, Regina. Yeah. For the movie that hits like a bus in a good way. No one dies. Mean Girls. Made at PG 13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Rise and shine, football fans. This is Susanna Fuller from Morning Footy, a podcast part of the CBS Sports Galazzo Network covering the breadth of the global game. Join me, Nico Cantor, Charlie Davies, Alexis Guerreros, and guests every morning for the perfect blend of news, analysis, conversation, and exclusive interviews. If you love soccer, then look no further. We've got you covered for Europe's top five leagues, the W Gold Cup, the Champions League Knockout Stage, CONCACAF Nations League, NWSL, MLS, Transfer News, and much more. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found. Subscribe to Morning Footy. All right, let's do a question here from the uh, YouTube channel. Sorry, let me get over here. Um, let's see. Let's do a Chris Jackson question here. This is from JH22. What effect will Chris Jackson, Jackson excuse me, have on Quinn's numbers slash passing game in general? Well, I think, um, you know, if if Chris Jackson is, is as good as, um, you know, we think he is as a up and coming rising star receivers coach who had really good success, obviously in Jacksonville. Now he's, you know, he was working with Christian Kirk and Zay Jones who are, uh, and Marvin Jones jr. Who are experienced guys, but they had good years Jacksonville, um, with, uh, Trevor Lawrence, uh, you know, making the playoffs, winning, winning a playoff game. Um, that, uh, you know, that's what you hope that he brings confidence to that position and confident players 
on the field with a confident quarterback, that's when you're you're moving the football and you're making big plays. And that's that's what you want. And so, you know, I think he can have a, a solid impact. And this this is a year where everyone's gonna be watching that receiver room and expecting big things. So I think that's why Sark went out and hired a guy who's you know done it at the highest level um in the NFL where you've got to you know you face your division opponents twice a year you've got to have new wrinkles you've got to be you know you got to have a big skill set and and so yeah i think uh i think chris jackson uh, if he's doing his job uh the receiver room is going to be prolific and productive uh, the quarterback has to be able to go through his progression and know where to look. And, and that's where I think the biggest impact will, you know, room for improvement will occur more than what Chris Jackson does with the receivers. Although again, they got to be good. They got to be able to get off the line. They got to be able to beat press coverage and, and Chris Jackson's got to train them how to read their option reads and be on the same page with the quarterback so that the offense is moving. But, um, you know, I think everyone's going to look at that receiver room and see how productive it is. Yeah, I agree. And, and honestly, with Quinn being second year in the, the system too, he may make Chris Jackson look like a genius, honestly, too, um, as a, as a receivers coach, because you expect Quinn to take that next step similar to Sam Ellinger did, you know, from year one to year two, uh, when Texas went to the sugar bowl against Georgia and upset Georgia and that, you know, Quinn, or excuse me, Sam took a, a major leap from, um, his throwing the, you know, his, uh, passing game. And so, uh, yeah, I, I think assuming Quinn does take that next step, Chris Jackson's going to look like a genius. And, uh, but it, it's interesting the, you know, the fact that, that Sark did go for, a receivers coach that was more of a technician when typically receivers and cornerbacks coach at the college level are typically the coaches that are elite recruiters and good on-field coaches too, but recruiting is, you know, kind of their uh, bread and butter a little bit. Sark went in a different direction for this hire and uh, we'll see how it works, but there's not much reason to doubt it considering, as you said, you know, he's Chris Jackson's done this at the highest level with professionals and with uh, some really elite receivers. So yeah, this is a, it's going to be fun to watch. I would say that if you're uh, especially if you're a fan of offense, I think this could be a, a fun offense to watch for Texas. Taylor, I see that question from uh, the YouTube from Terry Reynolds. Oh yeah. Um, and I'll, Let's grab that because Malik Murphy, and I haven't mentioned Malik. This is a big spring for Malik Murphy. He's healthy, um, and he was not healthy last year. He came in after having ankle surgery. He broke his ankle in December um, and and was an early enrollee. So he went through this, you know, he came in January. He was still in a boot following ankle surgery. It, it was a, you know, it's a long recovery. He was not cleared until he got into the season and then he you know hurt his wrist in a scooter accident it it was kind of a uh not i don't want to say a lost year because he was in all the meetings he knew what he was learning the offense and that that's key but 
this is a big year for Malik Murphy. He needs to, um, you know, he needs to show these coaches that he's got the offense down uh, because he and Quinn Ewers have been in this offense the same amount of time. And Malik Murphy is a giant. I mean, he yeah. is, he's almost six, six. He's, you know, two forty-five. He's got the charisma, the personality, and, and he needs to prove to these coaches that he's in it to win it. And, uh, and that'll start this spring. And so, um, he's, you know, you, you asked, does he have a legitimate chance to be the starter? Has he been written off? No, he has a legitimate chance to be the starter. He's going to have to beat out, uh, Quinn Ewers and, uh, Arch Manning and that talk about healthy competition, but Malik Murphy is not a shrinking violet. He is a confident dude. So he's not afraid of this competition. And I'm excited to see what he brings to the table. You know, I like Hudson card early on. I wasn't sure how confident he was, how, how much swag he had when he went out on the field, he developed it. And I think, um, he showed it last year and now we'll see what he does at Purdue. I hope he kills it, but, um, you know, Malik Murphy's a confident guy. I mean, everyone talks about him having the biggest personality in the locker room. So yeah, this is, this is a big spring for, for Malik Murphy. And, and then it's on Steve Sarkeesian to give an honest evaluation of, of these quarterbacks and make sure that he's playing the best one. So, you know, everyone talked about Malik Murphy being raw when he came out of high school. Okay. AJ Milwee's had time to mold him with his mechanics and in this offense, Steve Sarkeesian, same. So we should see that this spring. We should start to see that. Yeah. And that's the thing with Malik Murphy. He was raw, but he had a really high ceiling coming out of high school. Um, he didn't get as many game reps as you would expect, you know, of a D1 college football quarterback coming in, um, especially, you know, 2020, the football season in the state of California did not happen. So uh, he was, I would say, a little bit behind from a developmental standpoint when he did arrive at Texas, plus, you know, um, having the injury too that he was working through. But he, his ceiling's really high. There's a reason why he was a very highly rated recruit, even though he still needed game reps. And if you look at Greg Biggins, uh, 24-7 Sports National Recruiting Analyst, his scouting report on Malik Murphy was essentially that. I mean, this guy, he has all the tools and he just needs game reps to really, you know, hone in on the details and um, and kind of perfect the tools that he was gifted with, just naturally, natural ability that he has. So it's going to be really interesting. And when, when Chip says he's like almost 6'6", he legitimately is. I mean, that, that's not like padding the stats type of roster uh, thing where he's going to go to like the combine. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, he's 6'2". It's like, nope, nope. This kid is all of 6'5", if not 6'6". Uh, I had a, a source um, and I, I can't remember if it was spring football or fall camp prior to last season, though, uh, called me after uh, they were at a practice and they were like, uh yeah, who like who is number six? Because I I saw him walk in and I'm like, why is this tight end wearing a black jersey? <laughs> and it was Malik Murphy because he's just such. I mean, you know, didn't even know who it was and just 
was had to call me and ask me about that quarterback because he thought it was legitimately a tight end that was wearing a black jersey. And he thought that was weird that a tight end would wear a black jersey. I'm like, no, that's it's a quarterback. And yeah, he's a monster. So uh yeah, he he's a he's a specimen for sure just from looking at him. And then it'll be interesting to see kind of him um on the field. So we didn't get to see it very much um in fall camp or anything last year. Right. Right. There's another question about, has he played in a full contact scrimmage? No. I mean, he didn't, he was, he was not cleared during the fall camp um, last year and, and certainly wasn't cleared uh, during the spring. So, um, you know, we're going to see him this, this spring and, you know, we'll hear how it's going. And, and, uh, and so it should be, it should be fun. This is an important year for Malik Murphy. Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, all right. Here's a question from Jess Crawford, Horns 24-7 member. What are your expectations from the O-line this year if everyone stays healthy? Who do you think the starting O-line will be? Well, I I think the offensive line uh, with Calvin Banks at left tackle. And then, you know, Hayden Connor did a nice job at left guard and Jake Majors at center. And then, you know, Cole Hudson at, at right guard and Christian Jones at right tackle. But you want to see those, that next wave, Cam Williams at right tackle, um, DJ Campbell at the guard position, pushing, um, you know, Cole Hudson, pushing Hayden Connor. Um, you know, Connor Robertson, we know, is already in the, in the three deep, two deep, really, at center. Uh, he's the backup to Jake Majors, or he was at the Alamo Bowl, um, and and Cole Hudson can play center as well. And then, you know, Malik Agbo, Nato Umazulu, uh, those guys need to keep pushing because mm-hmm. um, not only are they one play away, but you these are big dudes. I mean, uh, and they can move. And, you know, Cam Williams, I mean, it would not shock me if Cam Williams beats out Christian Jones to be the right tackle of this football team. And Christian Jones ends up, you know, moving to guard or or something. But uh, it also would not shock me if Cam Williams was the backup left tackle and spent most of his time over there. They're going to have to see where he's more comfortable. We learned from Christian Jones he started an entire season at left tackle and it did not go well No, in 21 and they moved him to the right side and he was much more comfortable. The footwork, the, you know, his kick step, everything was more comfortable on the right side than it was on the left side. And, um, and kudos to Kyle flood for figuring that out. But, um, you know, I'm, I, the guys I just mentioned are the easy you know, ones to say you think will be the offensive line starters, Calvin Banks, Hayden Connor, Jake Majors, Cole Hudson, and Christian Jones, because they're all returning. Right. It would not shock me. It would not shock me if Cam Williams uh, beat out Christian Jones at that right tackle position. If, if Cam Williams has progressed the way we've, we've heard he was progressing coming out of last season. So um, it's on these players to, to keep pushing and, um, and to improve, but it wouldn't surprise me 
That's a big dude. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And we don't get to talk to assistant coaches very often, but we did get the chance to speak to um, Kyle Flood at the Alamo Bowl. And when we did some of the the breakout, um, you know, interviews with him, he talked extensively about Cam Williams um, being a guy that people have not seen it publicly, the progress that he was making, but he, he said it a couple of times, that was a guy that he continued to mention and bring up when talking about the young offensive linemen. Um, Cause he thought, you know, he was really impressed with the way that he was progressing. He was like, he's got to continue. He's got to, you know, continue to um, get better and kind of uh, just work more on some of his physical tools. But he, he did mention Cam Williams a number of times in the breakout interviews as a guy that has made a ton of progress. You just haven't seen it because he wasn't on the field um, a lot last season or anything. But that's definitely one to watch. And I think the expectations, you know, I, I agree with you that starting a line at this point is probably what you had said. But I think the expectations are are high, honestly, for the O-line. And um, and that's a huge credit to Kyle Flood because of what he was able to do with a very, very green, inexperienced offensive line last year that we thought was going to be a liability. And it wasn't. I mean, I had no problem eating crow on that because I was very I knew I know Kyle Flood's a great coach. He's a great recruiter. He's a great developer of talent. But he himself even said Alamable, he's never been in a situation where he had to start two or one true freshman, let alone two true freshmen on the offensive line for an entire season. And uh, they performed really well. And he deserves a ton of credit for that. So because of how well they performed last year, I think the expectations are high and and understandably so, and they should be. Um, and, and you want that. And that goes back to kind of, you know, what I was saying earlier about um, this team being built to make a, a run for a big 12 title this season because of the way that they've been able to not just recruit on both lines of scrimmage, but develop those guys. And the offensive line last year was a, a prime example of that. And with all those guys returning, it's, you know, next step, you want to see it. Um, and you want to see some of those younger guys that maybe they hadn't seen push uh, some of the veteran guys. So, yeah. yeah, man, I can't believe I'm saying that Texas offensive offensive line should be a strength. I when have I ever said that? <laughs> Like hey, never. Because <laughs> you haven't seen a guy like Kelvin Banks very often come in oh, yeah. and play at an all-conference level as a true freshman. That for Texas fans, that was that was like watching a unicorn run out on the field all all season long. It was it was great. And that's those are the kind of players that Alabama and and Clemson and Ohio State have been getting. And now uh Texas has Kelvin Banks and He's probably going to end up being a top, you know, ten pick in the NFL draft when he's ready to to come out, uh, and that's the kind of success you need to have in recruiting. You need to be able to say, "Look at Kelvin Banks." You know, basketball's been able to say, "Look at, you know, Kevin Durant." Um, but it, in football, you need you need NFL players at every position group. I mean, they can point to Devin Duvernay, and um, you know, but and soon be John Robinson, but on the offensive line to be able to attract top offensive linemen, you need to be able to show you can put guys in the NFL. Yeah. The only Taylor, thing people pointed to for the offensive line for the last decade plus at Texas was how few offensive linemen right. were actually drafted. That's why so many of the top prospects in the state of Texas went elsewhere um, right. because of that. So that's right. Do you see the question from Cisco Diaz? 
and the uh yeah let me pull this up over here all right let's see chip look at you uh looking through the comments and stuff i'm i'm I very know. impressed talk about taking the next step chip uh normally would be like where are the comments <laughs> and the fact that you're calling them out i like that oh yeah here we go uh the one about gary patterson yeah all right yeah cisco diaz here any news on GP Gary Patterson staying on the staff, or is he officially gone? How different is this defense if he's gone? Chip's so, been reporting on this a lot, so I'll let you take the lead on this one. Yeah, so Gary Patterson is still uh, working as a special assistant to Steve Sarkeesian. Um, and by all accounts, it, it will continue uh, into the uh, 2023 football season unless, um, you know, Gary Patterson either has a better offer or, um, you know, or his wife tells him it's time to slow down. So, um, yeah, he is, he took part in the, in the junior day. He is back to evaluating recruits. He's over, he's helping oversee winter conditioning, just like he did at this time last year. So, um, that's, that's good news. And, uh, I know there was some you know, question about whether Gary would continue, but he is, he is still uh, continuing to uh, be a, a special assistant to Steve Sarkeesian. So that's good news for Texas because his scouting, his advanced scouting, his ability to help them um, with the, the quarters match, um, you know, a pass defense that Pete Kwiatkowski uh, employed last year was huge. Uh, and, and then, you know, the advanced scouting is where Gary is special. He does that himself. He it's, it was what made him a really top end defensive coach at TCU. He loves diving in, uh, studying opposing offenses and, and coming up with game plans. And, and so the, you know, the more longer you can have Gary Patterson helping you out, uh, the more, um, you know, Texas fans should be cheering because you saw his impact on the TCU game last year when they held TCU um, to, well, what, 17 points? 17, yeah. Um, you know, that was... That was a season low for TCU too, I think. Well, regular season low, I believe. Right. It, it was phenomenal. I mean, they, the Texas defense... Uh, they did not lose that game. The offense couldn't do a thing. And Bijan Robinson, you had first and goal from the two, first and goal from the five, and Bijan Robinson didn't get a single touch in either of those series. Um, so tough day for the offense that day. Yeah. And you know, I think I think one of the the biggest uh things too that is a really big positive, I think, for the defensive staff is the fact that I think a lot of people thought Gary Patterson was hired to essentially be Pete Kwiatkowski's replacement if the defense struggled uh, again for a second year after the struggles that it had in year one. But from everything we've heard, they work fantastically together. It wasn't a situation where PK was like looking over his shoulder thinking that Gary Patterson was like defensive coordinator and waiting or anything like that. They they were able to rely upon one another and it wasn't in a um, a way that you would think maybe could have been tumultuous a little bit or kind of kind of like when, you know, in um, 2019, when 
Tom Herman after uh, Chris Ash was fired from Rutgers had him just come in some of the defensive meetings to be a, you know, kind of help as an analyst, but like an unpaid, you know, just like volunteer type of thing. That was a, that was, I mean, the defensive staff was like all looking over their shoulders and <laughs> understandably so considering Tom Herman did fire Todd Orlando to hire Chris Ash later. It was nothing like that with Gary Patterson this year. And uh, that's, you know, I think that's that's something that doesn't get talked about enough and probably should because it shows that there is a trust in a, you know, in, in that that room. And the more that those staff can like rely on a guy like Gary Patterson, the better it's going to be for the outcome on the field. And you saw that, I think, last year. Yeah. And remember, Gary, this he's talked about this and I wrote about it. He wants to be in the College Football Hall of Fame. He's got the credentials to get in, but you have to be out three years from coaching um, to get in and he's not hustling for a job right now. He's, he's content. You know, he told me and I wrote it um, in, in June when he's his song, the day I walk away came out. He said, I like going to these meetings and knowing that when the meeting's over, Sark has to go solve the problem, not yeah. me, <laughs> you know, and he loves being a part of the, the camaraderie with the staff. And if the rule change goes through uh, that we thought might go through in August, but might go through, um, you know, at some point before this upcoming football season where any institutional staffer can coach during the week, um, you know, then, then you, you've got Gary Patterson able to, you know, and let's be honest. I mean, some of these guys are probably coaching already during the week, but, um, you know, Gary's not hustling for a job. He's happy to work with, with Pete Kwiatkowski and this staff and, and he's a team player, man. Um, I know I used to talk to Gary Patterson a lot when he was the coach at TCU and Sark's got him on lockdown. You know, <laughs> I'm like, you know, he's, he's a, he's, doing what Sark wants him to do kind of annoys me, but um, <laughs> it's uh, he's a good team player. Yeah, he is. All right. I'm going to take another one here from the YouTube real quick from Nicholas Tams Tomsma. I apologize if I butchered that. Um, does Jalen Ford have a chance to be big 12 defensive player of the year, year or is the league too jaded against Texas? He was my, he's the honorary big 12 defense player of the year for, in my opinion, from last season, he got hosed, I think in that, uh, the voting there, maybe it was intentional, maybe not. I don't know, but what are your thoughts, Jeff? Yeah, it's certainly worth bringing up. I mean, I don't know how you didn't give it to, to Jalen Ford last year. So maybe the league is too jaded. Now you're bringing in Cincinnati, central Florida, Houston, and BYU, they shouldn't have, they shouldn't be jaded toward Texas because they're new to the whole thing. They should so, be thanking Texas and OU for leaving because now they're right. in a power five conference. <laughs> so hopefully if Jalen Ford has the same kind of year he had a year ago, uh, or maybe even a little better, I'm not going to put a ceiling on the guy. They'll give him the award because that's, voted on by the coaches and you could see where there might have been a little well let's take care of our guy at kansas state 
Felix Aniduke Uzama, who's really a good player, but he didn't he didn't have the impact that Jalen Ford had in big games. And and so yeah, let's uh let's hope that the coaches do the right thing if Jalen Ford has a similar season to last year or better and give him the give him the award. My God. Four interceptions, three forced fumbles, two fumble recoveries. He was top three in tackles all year. It was a big year. Yeah, yeah, and you and you hope he continues too because he was weighing his his options of either you know returning or going to the NFL as an um, you know an underclass uh, leaving early. Excuse me for uh, the twenty twenty three NFL draft. He ended up um, from what my sources said he was. Uh, you know, there's an importance that he that his family wanted him to get a, a degree, and also he hadn't gotten NIL money in last season. But I think Texas may have uh, maybe helped facilitate or maybe put his name in front of some people that <laughs> did some NIL deals with him. But he deserved it. I mean, that's you know he he had that type of season that he was he was um, earning of the NIL deals, and now I think that those did come. So. Um, and that's, that's what you do. You, you let, you let your school know you're thinking about transferring or going to the NFL and suddenly the NIO money shows up. Yeah. <laughs> you have a year like that and you're, you're allowed. I mean, Xavier Worthy had, you know, double digit touchdowns as a freshman. He's going to get some NIO money. Jalen Ford mm -hmm. has a year like that. He's going to get some NIO money. And that's, yeah. that's the way it should be. Honestly, it should be, yeah. don't, don't promise it up front. Um, come in, earn it. It'll be there. And, uh, and it's not pay for play that that was what the NCAA was trying to avoid, even though they haven't pretty much done anything to restrict it, but well, it was and one thing we it. haven't really talked about is the new rule that the NCAA has instituted where if you don't cooperate, if you don't turn over all the materials that the NCA infractions committee wants to look at there, they will assume you're hiding something. And, and so this is, uh, you know, this is a totally new approach from the NCAA, uh, which does not have subpoena power, but if this is their way around subpoena power, if you, if they come, you know, based on what they read in a, article or what they hear from another school reporting it to them and they come asking questions they want to see everything otherwise they they're going to assume yeah. you're hiding something and you will be punished so this is their attempt to put teeth into the nil wild wild west and we'll see how this plays how you know how aggressive are they in doing this are they going after the big schools um, it's one thing for it to be a rule. It's another thing for it to be enforced. The NCA hasn't been enforcing much of anything. So, um, we'll see. Yeah. And that is a, an interesting rule too, because as Chip said, it could be a report out there and they can then come. So these schools now essentially need to be saving all receipts for NIL money um, and be willing and ready to hand them over if the NCAA infractions committee does come. Um, it, it's going to be weird too, Chip. I'm curious for your thoughts on this. As you know, journalists, there's a lot of things we have to be careful and make sure that we have 
solid intel from sources if you're not naming sources to avoid things like libel or defamation or anything along those lines. As a reporter, I'm kind of like, that's at some point or, you know, if somebody were to report something and it was incorrect, can the schools go after the reporter if they get I mean, infractions? I mean, it's like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think it would be, um, anything's possible in this day and age. And, and so, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised by, by just about anything. Yeah. You know, I mean, we've heard some crazy NIL stories already. Yeah. And, and I know there a number of programs have said, we've got to rein this in. Um, and so this, this, we're getting a new head of the NCAA and we're getting some new, some new guidelines. So we'll see how this, how this plays out. Yeah. All right, Chip, you want to wrap it up here? Yeah, let's, uh, we probably, um, uh, gone longer than we expected, but the questions <laughs> have, have, uh, kept coming. So that means we need to do this more often. So yeah, these are fun too. I, I like interacting with our members and the viewers over at the YouTube channel and Facebook too. Uh, we appreciate you guys chiming in and listening to us babble on and on here for an hour and 25 minutes. Doesn't seem like it's been that long, but it's been fun. Yeah. Informed <laughs> babble, right? Exactly. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So thanks everybody. Make sure you're subscribed to the, uh, horns 24 seven YouTube channel. It should be that subscribe button right below where you're looking. <laughs> uh, just hit that. And that way you'll get notices whenever we're, we're doing, uh, our mailbag live flagship podcasts and, uh, tell all your friends and enemies to subscribe as well. And until next time, we'll see you over at horns247.com. For Taylor Estes, I'm Chip Brown. Thanks so much for participating, for listening, for watching um, this edition of the flagship podcast. Stay safe and keep the faith. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game full speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.